Greetings and welcome to Hello Pine Knob, the official podcast for Pine Knob's 50th anniversary. I'm Gary Graff, and throughout the season, we're celebrating by taking a look at Pine Knob's present and especially its past, revisiting some of the most important events in the theater's history and talking with some of the folks who made it. After 50 years and more than 3,100 events, there's more than we'll be able to jam into these episodes, but hey, that's why there's a next season. In this episode, we talk to the act that's played Pine Knob the most. Any guesses? Well, it's Chicago, the groundbreaking brass rock band that blew out of the Windy City in 1967 and this summer released its 38th album, Born for This Moment. The group has sold more than 40 million records in the U.S. alone and was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame in 2014 and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2016. Chicago also received a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award in 2020. This year on July 26, Chicago will play Pine Knob for a whopping 82nd time. The group first performed at the theater with a five-night stand during August of 1972, and over the years it's hosted double bills with the likes of Earth, Wind & Fire, Huey Lewis and the News, the Doobie Brothers, the Beach Boys, and others. Chicago was, appropriately, the band that reopened Pine Knob during July of 2021 after the pandemic canceled the theater's 2020 season. Just prior to the show, we sat down with founders Lee Lofnane, Robert Lamb, and James Pankow to chat further about Chicago and its relationship with Pine Knob. First, Lee Lochnane. So Pine Knob, and you know it as Pine Knob, I know it as Pine Knob. The Nederlanders opened that theater, God, what is it, 72. And we played the first year, the first few times we played at Pine Knob, we played a week's worth of shows. And uh, we had a celebrity softball game and all kinds of other stuff. It was a lot of fun. And uh, and we have played Pine Knob every year since 1972. We have not missed a year. It always has a certain uh, flavor to it when you get to, to Pine Knob. It's its own separate venue from, from others, even though, you know, once you start playing the show, it's not unlike the other shows you've played, but being at Pine Knob separates it from others. And then last summer, we did sit down with Lee, Robert Lamb, and with James Pankow to talk about Chicago and its great history with Pine Knob. Gentlemen. You guys have played here more than anybody else. This is your, this we is your, started here. Yeah. This is your 81st well, well, show. We started this show. Over that period? 81st show. What kind of relationship do you feel to this venue? Well, I, personally, I've always felt that even with a band named Chicago, I've always felt that the audiences at Pine Knob have always kind of held us in their hearts. I don't know what caused that, but I, I just don't have always felt a lot of love for this, this audience. I agree. More, more so than other places. One unique aspect of this show historically has been the baseball games that we used to play Softballs. Uh, with the staff. I was going to ask you to remember We that. usually wound up kicking their butts. They weren't too happy about that. They were thinking, well, you know, these are rock and roll guys. Let's go out and make fools of them. And we usually won, but we, we stopped. Always won. We, we always won. won, except there was one year where they, they brought in ringers. Yeah. Yes. Oh, they brought in ringers. We still beat them. Did we? Oh, yeah. We yeah. won every year. The babe. The babe, he was the home run kid. I had a drunk the night before, but I came in a limousine. The game was already going. I sort of like fell out of the car. I went into short center. 
it, I think it was the end of uh, end of it. There was two outs. Somebody hit the ball to me. I caught uh, like a Texas leaguer, and all of a sudden I was like the hero. What do you mean? How you doing? Who cares? And you didn't even know it. I didn't know. It. <laughs> and then I, I went I, up and hit a home run. And finally, finally, we had to uh, discontinue the baseball tradition because we were showing up at the gig injured <laughs> from sliding into home or colliding with somebody. So we finally stopped the baseball thing. Yeah, I I'm, think we got a little more concerned with the game than we did with the gig you know, for a while. It's like, what business are you it's in? It's appropriate, you know? I think. All, well, for a short time, it was okay. But yeah, I agree with Robert uh, wholeheartedly. This crowd has always been special in terms of really getting what we do musically and really, really having a great love and respect for the, the band. It's like another hometown. Yeah, take me back to August of 72 as much as you can, but coming as much as you can, or make it up. Um, but, but just coming into a play, you know, not only coming in to play a show, but you were here for five nights that first year and then subsequent years even more. What's well, I that? think we were here for five nights in a number of years in a row, uh, like three, maybe even four years, with a matinee on Saturday. I yeah, think we had a matinee, and and then we had the, the celebrity <laughs> softball game. <laughs> After that, which you know, a charity game. So it was a full week of work. But what does that do to again building the relationship with a venue, and you know, of course the audience being an extension of the venue, yeah. when you can be when you can sit here for a week and do shows. Well, well we were really big at, at that point. You know, point. we didn't do a week just to, uh, uh, for a laurel on our, you know, <laughs> on our shirt. We, we did it because there was demand for it, and it was a sold-out week. Yeah. And the Nederlanders were great to work with. We established a really nice uh, friendship with those guys. So, you know, there's a lot of special aspects of this venue. Um, I honestly don't This is like one of the first amphitheaters. Yes, it was. So it was, uh, you know, we didn't know any better. This was just, like, I don't know if it was a great sounding stage, but it felt great. It felt great. And, you know, again, because of the audience, because uh, people wanted to hear us. I like the fact also that the configuration of the pavilion is such that the people are right there, man. Yeah. It's like the war zone. And, and the closer and more up front the people are in the audience, the more excited we get. And it's a give and take. The more excited they get, the more excited we get, and the party begins to rage. By the time you get to the end of the show, it's nuts. He's easy, easily excitable. <laughs> but I do find, you know, whenever I talk to artists, because this is one of the smaller sheds still. Yeah. You know, you go to Blossom, it's like 25, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, what, 25 so, covered? We, here it's, uh, no, 25. This just, is like 7,000 covered? This is like, yeah, 7,000, yeah. uh, 5,000 covered, okay. uh, 10 on the line. It's smaller, that, so like you're saying. To me, that seems perfect. So yeah. maybe we sensed that it was just a... Well, I think a lot of the, the venues that were built subsequent to this, like pretty much put the, this stamp and stamp those shows with, or those venues with how this was done. But larger. Larger, yeah. yeah. They wanted more money. <laughs> Among the shows that you know you guys have had here have been a lot of these Chicago plays nice with other tours, with others tours that you you've done. Talk a little about doing those and you know what the allure of taking out a Beach Boys or an Earth, Wind and Fire or you know the others you've toured with, what that adds for you to a touring experience. Well it brings the other groups fan base to us and vice versa. 
and I think it, it always helped both bands and they were really exciting shows. We had a great time playing them. With, the, with Earth, Wind & Fire, there were 22 guys on stage in the encore. And with, the, with Earth, Wind & Fire, we also opened the show and we tried to get people to come early and understand that, no, 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 both bands are going to start the show, so come early. And, you know, sometimes they did, sometimes they did. We pioneered the, in the packaging performing together. Two headliners. So, so right. yeah, both headliners. So uh, the fans are getting a bonus in, in, in that they get a chance to experience both bands together on stage playing each other's hits together. And that's something that they typically don't see any with any other shows. We put the stamp on that, and it really has a great effect. Um, I always wondered, uh, I always wondered uh, if uh, how much of the audience attended those shows and were not aware of one or the other of the bands, and if that had an effect on the followings of the, of the bands. I had family at one show of Earth, Wind and & Fire, and there was a gentleman right next to them. They got wind that these people were part of my family because they overheard conversations about, hey, Jim's doing that. And he <laughs> leaned over and said, excuse me, not to mind your business, but I, I got the, the sense that your family and the band, Chicago, these guys, these guys are funky. These guys cook. I had no idea. And my brothers told me about that. So that's proof that uh, we won people over. And I'm sure they did too. What's the, I don't want to call it a trick, but what is the criteria for knowing what's going to work when you're touring with another band? When you're touring with another band, what do you look, what did you look for? for? A lot of it's just sort of conjecture. Uh, we, uh, I know we did a run with, with Crosby, Seals and Nash and it didn't work. Crosby, Seals and Nash were going on first. I'm sure they didn't like that. And uh, at the time, in the beginning of the run, they were doing their kind of more esoteric stuff. They weren't playing their hits necessarily. I think they noticed the reaction we were getting going on doing what we do. And uh, within a week or so, they had completely changed their set. <laughs> and they were doing all their hits as many as they possibly could. And it makes sense that people would come to hear what put both groups on the map. It, you know, it's, duh, really? You know, so rather than try to pull something out of the, you know, this is our new stuff, in the midst of playing with another super group, it, it, they realized very quickly that they needed to step up their game. Having said that, I whether it was Earth, Wind & Fire or Crosby, Stills & Nash or or the Beach Boys, I always enjoyed getting to know some of these guys, some of these musicians whose music I liked, whose music I, I heard, you know, and, you know, kind of do some, do some shop talk, and it's really a lot of fun. You know, it's better than just sitting back here waiting to go on. Doing, you know, playing out here for as, as much as you have, are there people in the crowd you see who oh. you've seen over the years, and sure. of course oh, yeah. they look a lot different than they did in 1972? <laughs> 50 years, yeah, yeah, yeah. We all grew up together. Oh yeah, diehard fans yeah. that you know that you're gonna see again. That Chicago talking about a 50-year relationship with Pine Knob that continued with another show this summer. That's it for this episode of Hello Pine Knob. You can catch other episodes wherever you get your podcasts, including odyssey.com and via 313presents.com. For more information about Pine Knob's 50th anniversary season, Brought to us by United Wholesale Mortgage, Trinity Health, and Ally, and all of 313 Presents events, visit 313presents.com. I'm Gary Graff. Thanks for listening. <laughs>